This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cubs win. Cubs win. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome on in. Fred Huebner with you for the next two hours. Plenty to get into. We're going to talk about uh, basketball. We're going to get into baseball. We're going to talk soccer. That's right. The Chicago Fire had their home opener yesterday at a uh, windy, chilly Seat Geek Stadium, formerly known as Toyota Park, um, out there on 71st in Harlem. And uh, the Chicago Fire came away with a 1-1 draw. C.J. Japong with the uh, game-tying goal in the, 35th, the 95th minute, make that. And uh, we will be talking with him in the uh, at around 11.30. So Chicago Fire fans, tune on in. We will talk with the goal scorer. And of your Chicago Fire at 11.30. But we had a lot to get to. The Bulls with an 11 o'clock tip today. And we see that Zach Levine is uh, questionable for the contest. He apparently will uh, go out for shoot-around, see how he feels, and uh, and then uh, make a decision to see if he is going to play or not. The Chicago Bulls with an interesting game the other day. We're going to start off with basketball. The biggest story of the day, obviously, is... What happened with Antonio Brown? Well, the Raiders get Antonio Brown. They're sending a third and a fifth round pick to the Steelers. Raiders are adding money to Brown's deal. He now will have a three years worth $50.125 million with incentives to go to $54 million. Where there was no guaranteed money before, there is now $30 million guaranteed. Jeremy Fowler, ESPN Steelers reporter, we'll hear from him later on. He tweeted out, This is really wild. Antonio Brown skipped work, disparaged the Steelers publicly, said he wouldn't play on a contract with three years left, then got a raise of almost $20 million, plus plus million in new guarantees, on his way to a new team, Savage Power Play. And for those Bears fans, and I know I heard Adam Abdallah saying uh, the Bears, and I heard Chris Black saying the Bears should have been. There's not a chance in hell I would have wanted Antonio Brown on my team. I don't care if he had six straight years of 100 catches. For a player to walk away from his team when they have a chance to go to the playoffs, not a chance. Now, long run for him, it worked out. Great. I'm glad it worked out with the Oakland Raiders. Couldn't have worked out with a better team. There's no way I want Antonio Brown on a team that I'm cheering for. Not after what he did with the Steelers last year. Okay? I know there'll be players, people saying, no, he had to do what he had to do to get his money. But fine. Fine. Let him go do it somewhere else. Not a chance. We will talk more about uh, Antonio Brown around 11 o'clock. Wanted to make sure I got the top story of the day out. We're going to get in some college hoops. It's a fun night of college basketball last night. Watching uh, John Morant and... Uh, Murray State also watching Duke in North Carolina, watching the Michigan-Michigan State game. And uh, it's just starting. It's all just starting as the uh, tournament. Most years, today is Selection Sunday. This year, Selection Sunday is next Sunday. 
So we have a lot of the tournaments beginning. The Big Ten tournament begins this week here at uh, the United Center beginning on Wednesday. Thursday, the ACC tournament gets underway, and it appears that Zion Williamson will be playing for Duke. He did not play yesterday for the Blue Devils as North Carolina got the victory. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But as I mentioned, the Bulls taking on Detroit today. The Bulls had a game on Friday night. I was here with Chris Black Friday night. We're watching it, and the Bulls are up, and they're scoring, and they're up by 21 points, and they're running up and down the floor, and they're hitting threes, and I'm going, man, oh man, this is this this team is looking like they're coming together. They're playing well together as a team. Then Black and I are doing the show and I look up at the screen and it says uh eighty five eighty five. I said, What? They were up by twenty one. What happened? And the Bulls end up losing. Now majority of Bulls fans are happy with that because it was a loss. And uh Atlanta was idle. Atlanta has it turned out lost last night. So they are, uh, there's a three game difference between the Bulls and Atlanta. So the Bulls trying to stay, I don't know what you call it, ahead or behind Atlanta for those three games and not fall any further as they are right now the fourth worst team in the NBA. And, uh, again, make sure you go to Tankathon whenever you get the opportunity. Go to Tankathon and check out where everything is and stay up on, uh, you know, where everything is who the worst teams are, where the Bulls are, and all the situations as we get closer to uh, the end of the year and uh, the draft lottery. Right now, New York is the worst team. Phoenix is a game and a half back of that. Cleveland, a three back of that. The Bulls, five and a half back with Atlanta, eight and a half back. So there's a three-game difference between the Bulls and Atlanta, and uh, the Bulls are two and a half behind Cleveland for that third spot in uh, the uh, draft lottery as we get ready for who knows who. I mean, you saw a lot of those guys last night. Uh, R.J. Barrett playing for Duke. You also saw Cam Reddish. Uh, neither shooting very well from three. Duke didn't shoot very well from three at all, but we will get into them in college basketball in just a couple of minutes. I wanted to ask you, before I get into LeBron James... And we're going to talk a little bit about LeBron James for a couple of reasons. And they're going to surprise you. If you've listened to me for a long enough time, I think my spin on LeBron James is going to surprise you. So stick around. But I wanted to ask Bulls fans out there, 312-332-3776. Driving around during the week, listening to Sylvie and Waddle, Waddle and Sylvie, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6. Um, you heard so many times, listen. The Bulls are saying that they're trying to develop camaraderie with the players that are out there. Well, what the heck is Robin Lopez doing out there? Uh, you know, you you have uh, Cristiano Felicio. He's a guy that's going to be here for a little while because you signed him to big money, unless you can get rid of him somehow. And uh, why is Robin Lopez out there? Robin Lopez is playing very, very well. Wendell Carter watching from the sideline. The youngsters saying, man, I'm learning just watching Robin Lopez play out there. I wanted to ask you, as Bulls fans out there, if you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. Do you want Robin Lopez back? He wouldn't be a starter. He'd be coming off the bench. But do you want Robin Lopez to stick around with this team? Now, Lopez could have asked the Bulls to be bought out. So he could have gone to another team, most likely the Golden State Warriors. And he decided he wanted to stick around. And now he says he may well like to be back next year. 
as a Bulls fan, would you like to see Robin Lopez stick around with this team and be that experienced backup center coming in off the bench when Wendell Carter goes uh, to the bench for his rest? Uh, when Wendell Carter is healthier and uh, the Bulls are in the process of getting better? Let me know. 312-332-3776. Okay, earlier this week, LeBron James did something. Well, first of all, he was booed by the people in L.A., his new home. He was booed by them. But then he was cheered by them when this happened. Rondo brings it into the front court. Rondo... Trying to get it to LeBron. Does LeBron down the middle to the rim, lays it up, in and a foul, and there it is. LeBron James with that basket, and and one has moved past Michael Jordan into fourth place on the NBA's all-time scoring list, 32,294, and he's got a free throw coming. Highlights courtesy of 710 ESPN LA. LeBron James passing up Michael Jordan. Took him a few more games, but he passes up Michael Jordan, becomes fourth in the all-time scoring list in the NBA. And, uh, you know, as an old guy, I'm one, yeah, I'm one of those old guys. Uh, I always like when young players in the league, and LeBron's definitely not young, but I like when players know the history of the game. And there's no doubt that LeBron knows the history. There's a reason he wears 23. We'll get to that in a second. But LeBron James was asked after he passed Michael Jordan for the all-time scoring list in the NBA where this ranks on his list of accomplishments. I don't know, man. I don't know. A lot of stuff that I've done in my career, um, this ranks right up there at the top. Uh, we're winning a championship. Um, just, I mean, for 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 a kid from Akron, Ohio, that that um, needed inspiration and um, needed some type of um, positive influence. Uh, MJ was that guy for me. Um, and I, I, I watched him from afar. Um, wanted to be like MJ. Wanted to shoot fadeaways like MJ. Wanted to stick my tongue out on dunks like MJ. Wanted to wear my sneakers like MJ. Um, I wanted kids to look up to me at some point like MJ. And um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy, to be honest. I don't. It's, it's, it's beyond crazy. Now, when I first heard those comments, and there's a lot more, uh, if you want to comment on them, 312-332-3776. When I first heard those comments, you know, uh, years ago, I'd probably say six, seven years ago, I was a, you know, being a big Michael Jordan fan, I was uh, an anti-LeBron guy, and and uh, then I sat down and watched them, and I said, you know what, this is just stupid. Me not cheering for LeBron James or not pulling for LeBron James or not respecting what it is LeBron James does is just ridiculous because he is, without a doubt, one of the all-time greats to ever play the game of basketball. Okay? Um, so I want to know if you, even if you can't like him, can you at least respect what it is, what this guy has done over his long career? Now, I don't respect what he's done recently, leaving and going to L.A., and I guess he wants to be happy in Los Angeles, but he's not going to be too happy this year not making the postseason. I think they're nine games out of a playoff spot after another loss last night. Uh, but do you, can you at least respect the guy? That's, I guess, the least we can expect from some people. Is it un-Chicagoan for you to like LeBron James? Can you not like LeBron because you're a Michael fan? 
maybe that's the way I initially felt, but that makes no sense. That's just stupid. And even I came to that realization. I just, it doesn't make any sense. You got to respect greatness. Now, I, I dislike the whole premise of the New York Yankees, but you've got to respect what they've done over the years. As a White Sox fan, people have asked me, they go, well, you watch the Cubs win the World Series. How could you, you know, I go, listen, I may not have liked that they won the World Series as me being a White Sox fan, want to always see my team do better, but you have to respect what Theo and Jed and Joe Madden and all those guys did to win a World Series. Winning a championship in any sport is not easy, and you've got to at least respect, if nothing else. You don't have to like them, but I would think you at least got to respect them. And one thing LeBron James does, you heard from that earlier comment, he definitely respected number 23, Michael Jordan, LeBron talked about what made Jordan, quote, the guy. What made him the guy for everybody? (laughs) He was everything. I mean, you name it, he was everything. Um, You know, obviously we all saw how unbelievable he was on the floor, but, you know, his swag, the way he wore his shoes, the way he wore his shorts, you know, with the tights hanging out, with the 2-3 on the tights, the way he wore his... uh, you know, his calf sleeve, he, he folded it down so you could see the red part on the other side. The way he wore his wristband on his elbow with the 2-3. Um, everything. I mean, you used to see cars he used to pull up in at the old uh, at the old stadium in Chicago. Obviously, the, the, the Gatorade commercials, the McDonald's commercials. The, um, I used to watch a, a, a cartoon um I think it was called the All-Stars. It was Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson, and maybe one other one other guy. You guys remember that? You guys are older than me, right? You guys remember that, the All-Stars? They was like superheroes, you know, and uh, yeah. yeah, it was animated. It was animated. And they had like little action figures. They came out with action figures and all type of stuff. I mean, just listen, man. I'm, I always tell you guys, like, when you're an inner city kid from Akron, Ohio, like myself and my guys growing up, you just you you, you look for anything, any lightning in the bottle that can inspire you, um, because you just always put up against the the numbers of failing. You know, the percentages of guys like myself, single parent household, only child, underprivileged, making it out is it's not it's not high at all. And um, you know. MJ had a lot to do with me making it out, along with my mother, along with the city itself, you know, along with the little league coaches I had. Um, but Mike had no idea what he was doing for a kid um, that was growing up, you know, 45 minutes flight away from Chicago when he was putting in that work. And now the sound you keep hearing, by the way, the clicking, and he explains it. I don't know if he does it in the next cut, but he says to stay calm. It's him. It's clicking a pen. And I do that. If I have a pen that's got a clicker on it, you know, um, I'm constantly doing it. My wife yells at me all the time. Uh, one last thing before we get to some phone calls. 312-332-3776. Again, is it un-Chicago, un-Chicagoan to uh, like LeBron James? And uh, even if you can't like him, can you still respect him for what the man has done? Uh, he talked about wearing number 23 for the very first time. I think the first time I wore 23 was uh, the first my first time playing AAU ball. And when that was uh, happened to be fifth grade, I think, I believe. And I just had started in fourth grade. I had just played um, one year before that. Um, but I've always, it's crazy, I've always wanted to wear 
um, you know, two, three. My first year in high school, um, we didn't have new uniforms. And as a freshman, you kind of just got to figure it out. And what's crazy, I wore 32. And um, 32 was like my second favorite number because of Magic. Um, so, And then I was able to move on. We got new uniforms my sophomore year, and I was able to get 23 for the rest of my high school career. As LeBron James talking the other day after he – uh, you know, reached the number four spot all time in scoring, passing up Michael Jordan. You want to jump in three one two three three two three seven seven six, and uh, you know the things. Uh, there are things that he has done that I do not respect, like getting rid of coaches. And uh, Luke Walton's got to go because LeBron wants a different team there. Okay, uh, Luke Walton did a pretty good, darn good job when he coached the Warriors when Steve Kerr was down, and Luke. Walton is a guy that will probably still be a decent coach in this league. I just, I don't like, again, this is where the old guy in me comes in too. I don't like the power play where the players are getting coaches fired, uh, getting their guy in. Uh, LeBron's done the same thing at other stops along the way. Couldn't do it uh, in Miami. Uh, it was staying the way it was, but he did it in Cleveland. Uh, he got his own guy in. Uh, he's trying to do it in Los Angeles. Um, it's got to be difficult for a lot of those young players in L.A. to to play with him and want to play with him after they probably idolized him. And then all of a sudden he comes there and he says, listen, I want to trade all you guys because I want to get A.D. And then as it happens, that doesn't work out. And now LeBron, for the first time in a long time, not going to the postseason. So uh, you want to jump in, you can talk about, is it un-Chicagoan to uh, like LeBron James? Like I said, uh, years ago, I changed my mind. I said, listen, I got to sit and watch him and respect him for what the guy does and all the different charity things he has done. He realizes and he has taken it to the next level taking it and, um, you know, helping out uh, kids in his uh, hometown of Akron and helping out other people. And basically that's what it's all about for the people like this who make this kind of money. They can uh, help and, uh, you know, they don't have to and they don't all do it. And uh, But LeBron has definitely done it over the years. Plus, I got to tell you, he's uh, he's gotten involved in TV now, too. He's got another new show coming up. Uh, on TV very, very soon. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but he also had The Wall that was he was, he was part of. Um, my wife and I used to sit and watch that. So he's branching out. He's taking that money and he's branching out, doing more things than just playing basketball. He'll, he'll have more time to branch out this year. Uh, not going to the postseason with the uh, L.A. Lakers. Um, college basketball last night. Again, I mentioned that it was a lot of fun to watch. Um and for a lot of reasons, too, because we know as Bulls fans, there's an opportunity, there's a chance that the Bulls may get one of those players from Duke, be it uh, Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett or even uh, Cam Reddish or maybe John Morant from Murray State. And last night, you were able to see Murray State punch their ticket for the NCAA tournament. They've got some time now to relax after they win the Ohio Valley Conference tournament. They beat Belmont last night, 77-65 in a game played in Evansville, Indiana. John Morant with 36 points. This guy, this kid's unbelievable. He can score every which way. He plays some pretty good defense. Uh, he's got his hands moving. He is a guy that uh, he drove to the basket. Then 
intercepted a ball, got behind the three and hit a three. This was early in the second half when Murray State started to take over a little bit. Game was close. Belmont had the lead for much of the first half of this contest, but uh, John Morant ends up with 36, so Murray State going to the tournament. Belmont's a possibility of getting an at-large bid. The uh, ACC game yesterday, the Duke-North Carolina game, there was an interesting stat, interesting to me at least, that uh, I gave on Friday night when I was here with Chris Black, and it was that North Carolina had played Duke eight times under Roy Williams in the final game of the regular season with first place in the ACC at stake for North Carolina, either outright first place or a share. Now, Virginia won yesterday over Louisville, so North Carolina needed a win to get a share of first place in the ACC. Now, in those eight times that North Carolina played Duke in the final game of the regular season, trying to get first place in the ACC, the Tar Heels were 8-0 with games in 05, 07, 08, 09, 11, 12, 16, and 17. Now they're 9-0 after North Carolina got a 79-70 win over Duke yesterday. The Blue Devils, again, without Zion Williamson, and Duke struggling shooting from three. And that's why a lot of the experts are not picking Duke to win the NCAA tournament. They were 8 of 32 from three last night. Now it'll be a little bit different when Zion Williamson is back. R.J. Barrett with 26 points last night. Cam Reddish added 23 points. The Tar Heels share the ACC regular season title with Virginia. As I mentioned, Virginia had a win earlier in the evening against uh, Louisville. Cody White. The freshman out of North Carolina, he was all kinds of fun to watch. He had 21 points. Um, Zion Williamson, though, did practice well the other day. John Shire was on with Waddle and Sylvie show on a Friday. If you get a chance, go back and listen to that on the podcast uh, at ESPNChicago.com. You can listen to the podcast of the shows. Um, Zion Williamson had a good practice. Some people thought he might have played last night, but after the game, uh, it appeared Coach K said uh, Williamson will be ready for Thursday's ACC tournament, which gets underway. So it's going to be all kinds of fun to watch and see how Virginia and North Carolina Duke doing the upcoming ACC tournament. The Big Ten up in Evanston. Purdue got a win over Northwestern yesterday. Not the season the Wildcats were hoping for. Uh, Purdue got the 70-57 to win over the Wildcats yesterday. Purdue uh, with a 16-4 and mark. They uh, locked themselves in for the uh, a tie for first in the Big Ten regular schedule. And last night, it was Michigan and Michigan State going at it. And it was packed at Michigan State. It was white out. They were all wearing their white T-shirts. And Michigan Wolverines had a 12-point first-half lead. They were fun to watch. Brazakis, the uh, kid from Michigan, just all kinds of fun to watch. They had a uh, nice, comfortable lead. But Michigan State scored six straight points at the end of the first half, cut that to a six-point lead. And then in the second half, take control. They win by 12. So the Spartans, a 75-63 victory. Spartans now tied with Duke for the Big Ten title. They share the title at 16 and four. So that tournament, as I mentioned, gets underway on Wednesday at the United Center. Chicago will be jumping with all kinds of Big Ten fans throughout the course of the week. As for the Loyola Ramblers, they were the Final Four team last year. Um, it was all kinds of fun watching the Loyola and Porter Moser continuing to advance in the tourney last year. Well, their dreams of getting back to the tournament 
um, ended yesterday as Loyola, a 53-51 loser to Bradley in the Missouri Valley Conference semis. Uh, there's a good possibility they maybe play in the NIT. And uh, DePaul will open up the Big East tournament on Wednesday. They are in New York City. And uh, who knows? Maybe there's a possibility that the way DePaul has played this year, maybe a DePaul-Loyola NIT matchup, that's always a possibility. That could be happening. So, uh, again, for the first time since the 08-09 season, North Carolina, they sweep the regular season series against Duke. Tart heels go on, and they won the national title that season. North Carolina is a good team. They're fun to watch. We'll see how they do in the ACC tournament. I am not a fan, and I understand it does nothing but generate money. The Big Ten is going to be doing it for four days at uh, the United Center. Five days, actually, uh, at the United Center. I am not a fan of conference tournaments. You play the entire season. I think that you should just go by, based on that. Whoever there's the conference tournaments are just a moneymaker for college basketball. You have your regular season schedule. Your regular season came to an end. They should pick the NCAA tournament teams from that. They shouldn't do it. I mean, you, you know, it, somebody's going to lose out probably in some of these lesser conferences, the Ohio Valley Conference or things like that. I'm not a fan of conference tournaments, um, but they're happening. There's no, nobody asked me. They're going to happen anyway. Uh, we come back. There's some other stuff to get into, and it's local basketball. And I mean really local, like high school basketball. You're not going to believe what could possibly happen uh, with state champions this year in high school basketball in the state of Illinois. The original home of March Madness. We'll talk about that and much more. We come back. Fred Hubner with you. Want to jump in? 312-332-3776 right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Huebner with you. And if, in fact, I said Duke was in the Big Ten, I obviously may, you know, misspoke. I know where they are. I definitely know where they are. I could actually ask you, Duke. It's funny, uh, when John Shire was on with Waddle and Sylvie the other day talking about how, you know... Zion Williamson has actually made uh, Duke a more likable team after Grayson Allen and uh, all the other, you know, Christian Leitner and everything else and Duke winning and Coach K and all that stuff, even though he's a Chicago. And there's many, many times where people were not real happy and did not enjoy um, Duke basketball. But uh, this year, a lot of people seem to have enjoyed it. Uh, a couple people have got to me. You can always get to me on Twitter at Fred underscore Hubner. And I had asked if uh, it was on Chicagoan to like LeBron. And uh, Hollywood P said, uh, stop it. True Bulls fans have absolutely no love for LeBron blames. You can't respect someone who always wants the easy way out. You know why he's never played for an iconic coach. He believes he's smarter than the coach. Wake up, Fred. I'm not disagreeing with that. With his, uh, he he is he is the coach killer. Uh, actually, it's probably a better word. He's not a coach killer. He's just a coach remover, and uh, he does that quite often. Another one uh, from Alfonso. He says, uh, "Freddie, I have never and will never like LeBron James. He played us back in 2010. He's a punk. Wouldn't want him in Chicago for free. Eh. You know, people didn't want uh, Dennis Rodman." People didn't want, Hawk fans didn't want Bob Probert. Um, White Sox fans might not have wanted A.J. Brzezinski. It changes a little bit when guys like that are on your team. And uh, 
Nobody had a problem with uh, Dennis Rodman back then. Now, probably have a problem with him. Uh, but back then, not so much of a big deal. We're going to get to the uh, high school stuff I was talking about in just a little bit. But it's funny. Uh, when certain teams raise ticket prices, a lot of times they do it on a Friday so nothing, you know, it's kind of uh, gets lost in the mix and things like that, and they don't get any bad press from it. I'm looking at an article here from uh, Jeff Arnold, local guy, but this is from Forbes, and it says, despite violating the antitrust law, the NCAA continues to justify the unjustifiable, analyst Jay Billis says. Now, in the article, it says here that on Friday night, the U.S. District Judge in California determined the NCAA is violating federal antitrust law and ruled that college football and basketball players should be compensated more than they are now. However, the ruling stopped well short of what plaintiffs in the case are seeking. In the decision... Judge Claudia Wilkin wrote that although college athletes should be entitled to more financial compensation, certain limits must be kept in place to keep players from shifting from being considered amateurs to being paid professionals while they are enrolled in college. The court does credit the importance to consumer demand of maintaining a distinction between college sports and professional sports. In addition to the fact that college sports are played by students actually attending college, student athletes are not paid the very large salaries that characterize the professional sports leagues that many student athletes aspire to. Now, Jay Billis from ESPN, he's been on this for a while. He says there's no, you know, they are not, there's, it says at the very beginning of the article that Jay Billis was a student when he was in the classroom and an athlete when he was on the floor, but he said he was never both at the same time. Billis said about the ruling that it represents a big win, but a uh, big step forward for college athletes uh, as they continue to fight for the same economic rights others enjoy. It will also increase competition among top players for elite talent moving forward. Yet how long the road continues before the rights of college athletes are met fully remains unknown. Bella said on Friday that the decision represents a step in the right direction. Um, in the ruling, and this is, this is, this is pretty, I mean, it came out on a Friday. We haven't read much about it at all. By the way, Zach Levine out of the Bulls game today with a, an injury, so he will not be playing for the Bulls as they take on Detroit. In the ruling, the judge determined that barring payment beyond scholarships and education-related costs violates antitrust. The ruling allows for college football and college basketball players to be compensated in the form of expenses relating to tutoring, studying abroad, graduate-level scholarships, and other costs related to their continuing their education. But the decision also allows individual athletic conferences like the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, and others uh, have the right to cap payments to athletes. Jay Bill is angered by the fact that college athletes are the only students that have limits placed on the earnings potential while they are enrolled in uh, college. Now, I have, for years and years, when it comes up that athletes should be paid, I've always disagreed for various reasons. One of them is, and it's the standard that everybody hears, um, they get they get their college education, they get the room, their board. Uh, there are a lot of other people that are going to school that pay big money to go to those kind of universities, especially a Duke or uh, things like that. Okay, the other one is, 
you look at it, and how are you going to do this? How are you going to pay this? Uh, what are you paying the 12th guy in the bench? What are you paying the walk-on? What are you paying the scholarship athlete uh, and those things? Okay, the the walk-on, uh, you know, isn't getting his education paid for unless he's able to get maybe a scholarship or a partial scholarship the following year. It it really would open up another huge can of worms uh, and what it's going to do. I had a solution a while back that, listen, for college, big-time college basketball and big-time college football, go on out, recruit whoever you want, and those athletes are representing the university. They don't need to go to school. You're making money on them. You pay them, and basically it's almost a minor leagues. But you would pay them. They wouldn't have to go to school. They would just represent you as a university. And I know people say, well, that's just not right. And that's Okay, well... We'll see. This has been going on for a long time, this kind of conversation, and it's going to go on for a lot longer. But I think later this week we'll hear a lot more than this. You'll probably hear a lot more of Jay Billis stepping up. You'll probably see him on Get Up or something like that um, when the week gets underway because it's uh, it's important stuff, and uh, we'll see how that all plays out. College or High school basketball. Over the many, many years, I have gone to the state high school basketball tournament. And enjoyed the heck out of the state high school basketball tournament when it was um, 1A and 2A. The 1A would play one week, the 2A would play the next. And there would be super sectionals, and then there would be eight teams going down to first Champagne, then Peoria. And on Friday, you would have four quarterfinal matchups. And on Saturday afternoon, you'd have two semifinal matchups. And Saturday night, you'd have a third-place game, which they should get rid of in every kind of competition. Third-place games are stupid. They make no sense at all. And then there was a championship game. So it was a great, great, great weekend. Years back, uh, the IHSA and their ultimate wisdom, uh, I'm going to give them credit for something in a little bit, so I'm going to not credit them for something. In their ultimate wisdom, they decided to go from two classes of co- uh, high school basketball to four co- uh, classes of high school basketball. And they went 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A. So now the 1A and 2A are down in Peoria this weekend. It just ended last night. I'll get to talk about that in a second. And then next Friday and Saturday, the 3A and 4As are playing. Tuesday night, there will be super sectionals to determine the teams that go down state. Okay, There usually would be eight games. There's only going to be seven, and I'll get to that in just a second. Um my buddies and I, we enjoy going down there on Friday nights. Uh, we can always get seats. That's one of the problems. Um, first, when they split it from two to four classes, uh, that's one of the problems. You, you're losing a lot of the, uh, the people to come down there. The public league has a hard time drawing fans down to Peoria, and the public league has dominated uh, in high school basketball. And we'll get a little bit here. Uh, local Chicago teams have dominated. Yesterday, Providence St. Mel won Class A and Orr won Class 2A. Orr has become the only the fourth school in state history to pull off a three-peat. Simeon, Manuel, Peoria Manuel, and East St. Louis Lincoln. I was down there for the Simeon and for the East St. Louis Lincoln games when they did three-peats. Um, now Orr has three-peated, and they may be back again um, next year. 
Next weekend, and I'm reading some of this from Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times, who joined me a couple weeks ago. And next weekend, Chicago will have an excellent chance to complete a sweep of all four classes. That won't please most of the state. Um, don't be surprised if it results in talks about changing the IHSA classification ruling. And there's a good chance that it could change the classification ruling. Um, and maybe they go back to two classes there are a lot of different things they've discussed, a lot of different things that came up a couple weeks ago about how they can make it a little more, uh, draw more people to wherever there's going to be. It's going to be in Peoria this year and next year, I'm pretty sure. And then after that, it's up for bid again. And Champagne will bid on it again. And some people say, well, you know, it should be moved up here to Chicago. Well, as a guy that goes down with down state with my buddies, the last thing we want to do is have him move to Chicago because then we'll never go again. Then we've got to change it because uh, we enjoy getting down out of town, uh, hitting a couple of the bars, hitting a couple of the spots, going to the games between sessions, walking through downtown Peoria, which is definitely in an economic crisis right now. They've had some struggles after some of the major companies have left that area. Um, and then going back to the evening session and um it, it works out perfect it's a great arena down there cover uh our arena and it, it's a it's a great arena we have a great time down there and uh it's just it's just a great time but i understand how it's not working for the ihsa and um they're going to do something with it there's no doubt about it they're going to figure out something to uh, make it a little more, uh, I don't know, the Peoria Civic Center. I didn't say Carver Arena. The Peoria Civic Center. I knew when I said it, it was wrong. Um, they're going to have to do something to try to change it a little bit. But the reason there's only seven instead of eight sectionals, super sectionals next week, is because of something that happened the other day. Farragut was playing North Lawndale. Farragut was leading 56-50 to 50 with 41 seconds remaining in the game. The Admirals were heading to the super sectional. There was a free throw, a push, a shove, a fight breaks out with the players and the fans. They cleared the building, and the IHSA, my opinion, right move. Ultimate Wisdom said, double forfeit, you're both out. Neither of you are going downstate. Now, it's a terrible thing for Farragut, because they would have been able to play in the super sectional next week, which is Tuesday, against DePaul Prep at the uh, Sears Center out in Hoffman Estates. Instead, DePaul Prep advances immediately. They, had, they don't have to play anybody. They're going. They won their sectional final. Okay? They won their sectional final the other day over St. Viator, 62-53. They go straight down because of this. You can't have this kind of stuff happening. The court is meant for the athletes. Fighting for the players is bad enough getting fans and everything else to come onto the court and get involved in a fight where they had to clear the building and then wait, and the IHSA finally made this determination. I'm sure there are a lot of fans from Farragut say this just isn't right. Fans from North Lawndale probably don't don't care as much. They were down with 41 seconds left by six points. But the super sectionals this week in 3A are going to be Glenbard South and Peoria Manual. Bogan against Nor Normal uh, U High and East St. Louis 
against uh, Springfield Southeast in 4A, the bigger schools, Geneva against Rockford East, Simeon against Curry, Evanston taking on Stevenson as they get back after uh, four, you know, they uh, Jalen Brunson won it down there a couple years ago, and then Bolingbrook against Belleville West. But uh, it was sad, very, very sad thing to see what happened at that Farragut-North Lawndale game. Fight breaks out. IHSA, in my opinion, made the right move. You've got to do something like that. And maybe they'll learn. Earlier today, there was a fight. In a, there was a uh, a player over in uh, England in a soccer match. He's running on the pitch, and a fan jumped out of the stands and hit, took a punch at him from behind. A couple Last week, two weeks ago, what was it? The uh, Russell Westbrook on the sideline. A kid pushes him. Okay, he's a little kid. You don't touch the, you know. You got to realize, I don't care how much your pappy paid for the tickets. You don't touch the athletes. Okay? Um, somewhere along the line, the fans will learn. Or not. Uh, I hope it never gets any worse than it is right now. 312-332-3776. Some Antonio Brown talk. Top of the hour. We'll get to that. And Chicago Fire fans, don't forget, C.J. Sapong will join me at 1130. The Fire, a 1-1 draw yesterday with Orlando City SC in their home opener. We will talk with him at 1130 right here. Fred Huebner with you in the uh, first Midwest Bank studio on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPN. ESPNChicago.com. Well, welcome back in, Fred Eubner, with you till uh, 12 noon. The uh, Bulls take it on the Pistons in a little bit. Zach Levine out for the contest. Keep you up to date with what's going on there. The uh, Bears, some people are saying, why didn't the Bears get Antonio Brown? Why didn't the Bears make a push for Antonio Brown in case you missed it? Uh, or you were just waking up. Uh, Raiders trade a third and a fifth round pick to the Steelers for wide receiver Antonio Brown. The Bears don't have a first or a second round pick. They do have a third round pick. They have a fourth round and a fifth round. No sixth, and then they have a seventh. And they may have two sevenths. Um, so the Bears are obviously looking to use some of these picks to improve their team, get their team better. Matt Nagy at the... Um, Combine sat down with the guys from the Tribune, Dan Weederer and Rich Campbell, and uh, talked with them. And uh, he said the players, they can't wait. After what happened this past year, they cannot wait for next season to roll around. It wasn't like there was three or four or five guys that just did it where I could click. I mean, it was literally every one of those guys that that uh, when they came in, some of them I, I had one-on-one conversations with. Others, there was groups of two or three that came in, and, and, we, and we talked, but... Um, the, the one, the one thing that I think was neat was their response to me of saying, coach, they were so disappointed because they, they would say, coach, we were going to win a Super Bowl. And, and so they believed yeah. it. They yeah. really did. But now they also realize it's not easy. And okay, well, why didn't we win a Super Bowl? And it's not because of one play. It's not because of one person. It's all of us collectively. So how are you going to use that almost obsessed to be the best? that we talked about last year, how are you going to use that this year to make sure if we, if we all do that, we all get a little bit better, right? We're, we're going to be back yeah. in this situation, but it's a new season. Was too. was that feeling stronger than you thought it was going to be from those guys? I think so. Yeah, yeah I think so. I wasn't sure um, after a loss like that, how they're going to handle it. Cause they are young and are they, are they 
kind of upset and deflated and, and disappointed. Yeah, they are, but they were actually more positive and more anxious okay. to get back here, which fired me up, yeah. you know, because there's a natural um, reaction in that game, the way we lost. There's a natural reaction to almost feel sorry for yourself as players and coaches that, man, we were so close. But, but no, we're going to use this now as motivation, and that's that's what's fun to me um, is knowing that we have guys on this team that really care. They yeah. truly care. And and um, they're they're going to come back here and it's, they're going to be firing away. Uh, as a Bears fan, you got to be fired up for the second year under Matt Nagy. Nagy with the guys from the Tribune were talking. He also said that he had to watch exactly how he talked to his quarterback, his young quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. Where what I have to do is make sure that. I'm not talking to a 13-year vet quarterback yeah. that's been in this offense for five years. Um, one of my earlier press conferences with you guys was talking about, you know, we, we got to level 505 by the time yeah. we were done, and we were doing some crazy stuff. Um, last year, what we gave and what we did probably wasn't 101. We were probably, we were probably giving a little bit more to okay. these guys, and they, they did a great job handling it now. All that said, where I think I can improve is probably pulling back a little bit. It doesn't mean you still can't be creative and still do yeah. things. But at least now we have our core concepts that I know that he feels comfortable running, that I feel comfortable calling, you put it together. And now with all the different adjustments you have within that play or that concept, now now you let the players play. How did, is, you, is, how did you turn your patient style back to so, the right spot? So um, uh, I, would, I would at times – myself just have to remind myself or some of the coaches say hey listen now remember remember this is really year one in this offense for this kid um but also what i think is neat is that mitchell has come to me several times and has said hey listen coach don't stop being hard on me okay that's i i love that i i want you to because because if you're on hard on me i can handle it and i know it'll make me better well, that's Matt Nagy as he was talking to the guys from the Tribune, the uh, Bear podcast that the Tribune does, Dan Wiederer and uh, Rich Campbell uh, getting together with the Bears head coach. Now, the Bears uh, were not involved with Antonio Brown. I had mentioned earlier that, uh, boy, I did not want him to. I know Antonio Brown is a tremendous talent. But in my opinion, Antonio Brown is not the kind of guy that this team needed. And he said, what? You, you didn't need a guy that for six straight years had a hundred catches. And I say, no, you don't need a guy like that. Not a guy that's going to walk out on his team the week that they need him to possibly make the postseason. Why do you want a guy like that on your team? Now, Adam Schefter with an interesting comment. Schefter said Antonio Brown's new contract, big raise, more guaranteed money, no New Year's added to it. Has NFL teams distraught and wide receivers excited? We'll talk about it. We come back. Fred Huebner with you right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Chicago's game day. Darcy is home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. 
This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you. Until 12 o'clock, 11.30, bottom of the hour, we'll have a chance to talk with C.J. Sapong of the Chicago Fire as uh, he scored the game tying goal yesterday in the 95th minute. The Fire, a 1-1 draw with Orlando City SC. Fire played so well in their first two games and have only come away with one point. Uh, but Coach Velkopanovic excited that uh, he sees what's about to happen. What's about to happen in Oakland is really interesting. Because uh, the trade was finally figured out yesterday. Okay? They've been talking about it for a while. Where is he going to go? Antonio Brown, where is he going to go? And the deal works itself out as he now is a member of the Oakland Raiders. Well, he will be. Uh, the league year and all that stuff, it all happens. And um, so... The Raiders trading a third and a fifth round pick to the Steelers for Antonio Brown. Raiders are adding money to Brown's deal. He now will have three years worth $50.125 million. With incentives can go to $54.125 million. Where there was no guaranteed money, there's now $30.125 million guaranteed. This according to a source, Adam Schefter of ESPN. And how the Raiders became the right trade partners. There are so many factors and aspects to consider here. Look, the Pittsburgh Steelers essentially turned the deal over to Antonio Brown and Drew Rosenhaus, his client, to make here. And they spent the last 48 hours in discussion with, with multiple teams. Now, the Raiders were the team that made the most sense, but the talks with them and the Raiders were not exactly smooth from the get-go. And it took a little while before they finally figured out a way to redo Antonio Brown's contract. And they did, as I just mentioned, as he gets uh, he had no guaranteed money. Now he got he has thirty million guaranteed. Schefter thirty minutes ago tweeting Antonio Brown's new contract, big raise, more guaranteed money, no New Year's added to it. The NFL teams distraught. The wide receivers are excited. It's a big win for Julio Jones, AJ Green. Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, Amari Cooper, and a big loss for teams trying to rework those deals. That from Adam Schefter earlier today. Jeremy Fowler from ESPN, he follows the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's interesting. He tweeted out yesterday, this really is wild. Antonio Brown skipped work, disparaged the Steelers publicly, said he wouldn't play at a contract with three years left. Then he got a raise of almost $20 million with $30 million plus in new guarantees on his way to a new team, Savage Power Play. Now, there are people out there that said, hey, you're all for the players, and it worked out. Again, I wouldn't want him on my team. He walked away from the Steelers when they needed him most last year, and they were trying to get into the postseason, and he walked away. Um, I don't want a guy like that on my team, but Jeremy Fowler from ESPN, again, who follows the Pittsburgh Steelers, talked about uh, the Steelers basically had to settle for the Raiders' offer, which was a third and a fifth rounder. They always wanted Brown in their offense, in their stable. The question was, would they have to overspend to get Brown and give up a big draft haul? So they, they stayed in that mid-round pick range. The Steelers took all their best offers by Friday, and then they reassessed 
and they just they tried to wait this out to get significant draft compensation. This seemed to be the best they could do because a lot of teams dropped out. The options were minimal at the end, and the Raiders were one of the last teams standing. Yeah, the Raiders were, and they end up getting him. And you think about it, the Raiders will be moving eventually to Las Vegas. Uh, they're going to have to sell tickets. It's not going to be for a couple of years. He has uh, got a three-year deal. Um, I don't know how things are going to work this coming year. He couldn't get along with Ben Roethlisberger and uh, Mike Tomlin and the rest of the Steelers. Uh, Fowler, Jeremy Fowler, also will go on with how the Steelers will move forward without um, Antonio Brown. This is a chance for a new era of Steelers football to move on They'll re-sign Ben Roethlisberger to a mega deal any day now. Roethlisberger could get a three- to four-year deal and play into his early 40s, and they'll build around him. He's clearly uh, the guy that will be the leader in the locker room. They re-signed center Marquise Pouncey, and they'll make some moves in free agency, but they'll probably be more complimentary moves, maybe get a cornerback, another wide receiver, and, and they'll just build this thing from the ground up. The killer bees are no more. They have to create a new identity. It's interesting to me that last year there were people talking and dissing Le'Veon Bell for sitting out and holding out the whole year. So you had a team where you had Bell and Brown, and they were, you know, Brown eventually walked away. Le'Veon Bell wasn't there the whole year. And um, it seems like the Steelers' locker room is going to be a lot better now without both of these guys there. And we'll have to wait and see. Now, obviously, you're both great players, both really good players. Um, Antonio Brown has um, done some wonderful things on the field. Uh, I think I was listening earlier to uh, Adam Abdallah, Black and Abdallah on Sundays from 8 until 10. And Abdallah said numerous times that I think he that Antonio Brown is third or fourth all-time in uh, catch percentage. Um, in the National Football League. He doesn't drop much. You get him the ball, and he's going to catch it. Now the question is, are they going to be able to get him the ball in Oakland? We will have to wait and see. The funny thing is, on NFL Live the other day, there were two guys that, I don't know, maybe they were disagreeing where Antonio Brown would show, sign up, um, or show up. Dan Graziano said uh, Oakland is obviously the most likely spot. I still feel like Oakland is the most likely place. I mean, until we get a statement from John Gruden saying they're out, which seems like the the fashionable thing these days, uh, I I think that seems to make the most sense. If Pittsburgh wants a first-round pick, no one has more of them, right? And and if you want to send the 27th... If you send the 27th pick of the draft to Pittsburgh... For Antonio Brown, that means you traded Amari Cooper for Antonio Brown. That's pretty good. Now, Graziano saying all that, and then at the end, it's a third and a fifth round pick, and that's it. So the Raiders got off pretty well because they have three first round picks next this coming season. And they didn't have to give up any of them. And most people thought that they would have to. Tim Hasselbeck on NFL Live said that um, AB doesn't make sense for the Raiders. So they didn't trade Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack to acquire picks to try to be good in 2019. Right. So the idea that you're going to start to give away that draft capital for a wide receiver that that would maybe play, you know, and be happy with his contract for one year and then have an issue when you're trying to be good, have a contract dispute, like that one doesn't make sense to me. See, and that was actually doesn't come true either because he got the three years. He got the guaranteed money. They didn't have to give up one of their high picks, and now Antonio Brown is going to be there for three seasons. 
So it's interesting the way this all worked out. It, it comes as a shock probably to many, many people. And I'm sure tomorrow on NFL Live and on Get Up in the Morning and on a lot of other things, you will hear uh, from a lot of the NFL, quote, experts, the NFL analysts on their thoughts on the deal. So we'll see what happens. Again, I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad the Bears were not interested in him. Uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, talent, but not the kind of guy I want on my team because anybody that walks away from their team as they're getting ready to make the postseason because he's selfish and he wants to make sure he gets his money, uh-uh, don't want it. You get your money in the offseason. You don't do it by by walking away during the season, and that's what he did. Uh, in the end, Antonio Brown converted the Steelers' four-year extension uh, at $17 million per year into what is now amounting to $19.8 million per year in new money. Um, Brown gone from Pittsburgh, but not forgotten. Brown will leave the Steelers with a dead money salary cap charge of over $21 million this season. Thought to be the biggest one-year salary cap charge in NFL history. And that's going to hurt the Brown or the um, Steelers. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to get over that. $21 million in uh, dead money. In the salary cap. The Raiders, by the way, haven't had a 1,200-yard wide receiver since Jerry Rice in 2002. Antonio Brown has reached at least 1,200 receiving yards in six straight seasons. So the Antonio Brown thing is over. It's funny. Over the last, what, two months, it's been Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Antonio Brown. Uh, what's next? What is going to happen next? Where is Le'Veon Bell going to turn up? I guess we will see that eventually. Let's turn to some baseball before we got soccer. Bottom of the hour, C.J. Sapong and the Chicago Fire will join us. The uh, Chicago Cubs, Chicago White Sox, you want to jump in? 312-332-3776. The Cubs pitching staff is pitching very, very well. I know it's spring training. I understand that. I was going to say I'm not a dummy. Some people might think I am, but I'm not a dummy. The Cubs starting staff, and I've said this for, heck, I've said this since they re-signed Hamels and picked up the option on Hamels. If their starting rotation performs, it'll be, it could be the best in baseball. When you have Lester, Hendricks, Hamels, uh, you also throw in Quintana, and you have you Darvish. Darvish says, I'm feeling better than I have ever felt. Now, I don't know if that's because he's just learning English, but he said, I'm feeling better than I've ever felt. Right now, best I've ever felt in my life. Best I've ever felt in my career is what he's saying. Yesterday, the Cubs had a couple of games. They beat the Giants 8 nothing, beat the Angels 11-4. to uh, Tyler Chatwood has gone eight innings this uh, spring with only one walk. That's right, only one walk. He walked 95 batters in 103 innings last year. He's got just one walk in eight innings. Um, Kyle Hendricks goes against Milwaukee today, a a 3 o'clock game. Actually, on TV. Uh, You can catch that game a little bit later on. Yesterday, the last two days in the Chicago Tribune, I thought that Paul Sullivan's come up with some interesting notes. The Cubs were not interested in spending money. Basically, Tom Ricketts came out and said, uh, we don't have any more. We, we can't, we can't spend any. It's not happening. We're not going after Bryce Harper. We're not going after Manny Machado. 
we're not going after big-name free agents. Well, those guys are gone. Manny's got his money in San Diego. Bryce Harper got his money in Philadelphia. Okay? But yesterday, Paul Sullivan had an interesting comment. He said, uh, hey, Craig Kimbrell will be a nice pickup. You're not sure what's going to happen with Brandon Morrow. The Cubs went out and got Brandon Morrow last year. He was not available at them at the end of the season when they needed him because of injuries. And Craig Kimbrell is still out there. He is still hanging around. Now, he wants a multi-year deal. He wants to be paid the highest reliever money of all time. He's pretty darn good. Probably deserves it. But it is March 10th, right? March 10th? Yeah. Set our clocks ahead and everything. Um, and he doesn't have a place to play right now. He can sit around and wait, probably, and get more money. But would it be a good thing for the Cubs to maybe give a call to Craig Kimbrell and his agent and say, hey, uh, would you be interested in coming to Chicago? We've got a pretty good team. We've got a really nice rotation. Chris Bryant's healthy. We're looking to bounce back. It's going to be a tough division. We'd love to get a closer like you. Would that make sense? Now, would Tom Ricketts still say we got we don't have any more money? Would this change Cubs' opinion, Cubs fans' opinion of Ricketts and even the team this year? If you go on out and get a Craig Kimbrell, 312-332-3776. Not exactly sure what Craig Kimbrell's looking for. We'll find out. We'll try to track it down. But Craig Kimbrell to the Cubs would be very, very nice. Nice little splash, bringing in a closer that has been just doing amazing things over the last several years. One other thing today in Paul Sullivan's column, talking about Javi Baez. Javi Baez was runner-up for the MVP last year because Christian Yelich was so darn good. One of the Las Vegas casinos has the uh, National League MVP odds out there. And I was checking out Sully's article today, and Bryce Harper's at 4-1. to one. He's your favorite, with Nolan Arenado second at 6-1. to one. Paul Goldschmidt at 9-1 to one is third. Tied for fourth is Manny Machado and Chris Bryant, both 12-1. to one. Last year's MVP, Christian Yelich, is 16-1. to one. Anthony Rizzo, 25-1. to one. And Vegas is still not believing in Javi Baez, apparently. He is tied for 14th with Joey Votto, Justin Turner, and Trevor Story at 33 to 1. Heck, if you're heading to Vegas, Javi Baez, not a bad bet. 33 to 1 to win the uh, National League MVP. I think people listening to me over the last couple of weeks know that I'm not a big fan of Bryce Harper. I think Bryce is uh, a good player, not a great player. In uh, two of the last three years, um, actually, since he had a 10 war in 2015 in the MVP, he hasn't put up, he hasn't been nearly the player that um, people think he is. And Manny Machado with San Diego, you're not going to hear from him for a couple of years. Doesn't matter what Manny does, he's in San Diego. He's not, they're not going anywhere for a couple of years, at least I don't think. Uh, they do have a very, very good. Minor league system, they have eight or nine prospects, and prospects are just that. We're going to get to that in a second. We talk some White Sox baseball in a minute. Um, so, yeah, 33-1 to 1 for uh, Javi Baez. No matter what you think, not a bad wager if you're heading to Vegas. Doesn't so. that throw you off a little bit? Just because I, I get the last couple of years, and, and 
I'll say this. I've been a big Javi Baez fan since right. he came to the Cubs. Yeah. Um, but one of the biggest issues with that, right, is I, I get the whole, for years, he was very inconsistent, right? He'll have some high moments and then he'll have some very, very low moments. And those were things you had to get used to. But last year, from what I saw, he was consistent for most of the year. Like, he didn't really have any down moments. And, you know, it was interesting because a lot of people thought that he had to be more selective at the plate to become a better player. And he was not. He was anything but. He was more aggressive at the plate. Correct. He was attacking a lot of things. What he learned to do was lay off a little bit from the, you know, down and away slider, which... If you people remember, uh, Soriano took years to figure that out when he got here with the Cubs, and he was all would always get struck out that way. And uh, you know, Javi's still going to strike out a lot. He's still going to swing a lot. And uh, but when he makes contact, it goes a long way. And Javi had a great year last year. I'm thinking it's a breakout year. Got uh, you know had a baby, uh, got married, right? All those married, things yeah. in the off season. So uh, you would think Javi Baez and starting at shortstop this year too. And I think that's another big thing because a lot of people for years have said, you know, despite Addison Russell being able to play shortstop, a lot of people thought that Javi Baez was always the best shortstop um, that the Cubs had. And now he gets the opportunity to prove it. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I just can't. I mean, we are less than three weeks away from opening day, uh, March 31st. Besides the games that are played uh, out of the country, March 31st, that Thursday, is going to be the opening day of Major League Baseball. The Cubs are in Texas, and again, don't get me started. Um, what kind of opening day is it playing the Rangers in, in Texas? I mean, that's, you know, interleague baseball. Get rid of it as soon as you can. Add two more teams, Portland and wherever, and, um, you know, get it so you don't have any more interleague baseball. I would love that. I would love the only time the Cubs and Sox would meet was when they met in the World Series. The only time the Cardinals and the uh, the White Sox would play would be in the World Series. I, I I am not a fan of interleague baseball. I don't care about the Cubs-Sox series. Don't care if it ever happens again. Do what they used to do. Have it as a charity event or you know raising money for for whatever charity you decide. Um, I would love to get rid of it. And it, this is just a prime example of it with the Cubs opening up their season in Texas against the Rangers. What a yawner that's going to be. Speaking of the Rangers, the White Sox played the Rangers yesterday. Uh, beat them 12-2. to two. Uh, And talking about prospects and how prospects don't always come through as you're hoping, uh, it's been a, a rough summer for Eloy Jimenez. Uh, 0 for 3 yesterday. He struck out for the eighth time. He is 3 for 23, hitting 130 with one home run. Uh, now, there's no reason to get worried about a guy like this because of what he's been able to do in the past. He has struck out a lot. Even last year, I want to say in 471 at-bats, he struck out in the minor leagues like 158 times. Struck out a lot, also hit a lot of home runs. Um, and that's usually what power hitters do. And people in the big leagues don't care too much anymore how many times you strike out. If, in fact, you hit the ball over the fence, it's um, not a concern. And But he's got to start you know, hitting the ball a little bit. This is just setting up perfectly for the White Sox to say, well, we're going to leave Aloy down in uh, the minors for another year or two to make sure, or another week or two, I'm sorry, year or two, another week or two to get his swing figured out before he comes up to join the White Sox big club. Not that the White Sox have a lot of uh, the White Sox have a lot of guys to actually take his place. Um, 
Yomer Sanchez hitting 381 right now in the spring. Yohan Moncada, uh, who has been working on his swing since like two weeks after the end of last season, he is hitting a 360 right now. And Ronaldo Lopez yesterday, he 33 pitches in the first inning. Then he needed just 36 pitches to get through the next three. He had two walks, allowed three hits, a run, and seven strikeouts as the White Sox were 12-2 to winners over the Rangers yesterday. Ronaldo Lopez is going to be an interesting player, um, pitcher for the White Sox, because in the long run, I'm still not 100% sure if he is a reliever or if he is a starter. Now, there are times where he looks like he's the guy you want in your rotation. Carlos Rodon is hopefully going to be number one. Um, You have Giolito, who is... Still trying to figure things out. You have Ronaldo Lopez. You have Ivan Nova, who they brought up. So we'll see how the things go for the White Sox. And it looks like Irvin Santana will likely be the number five starter for the White Sox. Uh, Santana was hurt last year. The year before that with the Twins, he was 16-8. and eight. So not a bad pickup for Rick Hahn and the White Sox right now as some of their other young pitchers try to figure things out. Carson Fulmer, another guy that Man, it just it doesn't seem to be working right now. Pitchers, I've said this over and over again, so I'm never going to say that guys are done at the age of 23, 24, 25. It takes pitchers a little bit longer to figure it all out. Okay, I think Hendricks is 30 right now. Okay, so it, it it's not like Kyle Hendricks had it figured out at 23 or 24. It takes a little while to figure it out how to be a pitcher in the major leagues. So I'm not giving up on any of these guys for the White Sox. But Carson Fulmer's got to figure it out sooner, better sooner than later. Carlos Rodon, when he's healthy, seems to pitch pretty well. And right now he's healthy. And uh, I'm looking for a big year out of Carlos Rodon, at least a year where he establishes himself as a number one starter in Major League Baseball. Number one and number two, because who knows what's going to happen for the White Sox as they go along. Dylan Cease is a guy who is... um Definitely a guy the White Sox are expecting to come. He would probably be challenging for the number five position if, in fact, he pitched more last year, innings-wise, in the minor leagues. Chris Getz, one of the uh, top White Sox player personnel guys, was on the other day and talked about what impresses him the most about Dylan Cease. Well, he's, he's from a physical standpoint, he's definitely maturing. I think he, uh, his body is in great shape. Um you know, he, he, he's really only thrown 123 innings um, or around there um, for a season, so we certainly need to build off of that. But um, for just from, from a durability standpoint, he is in a good position to take uh, a full season's worth uh, of innings. Uh, now his, his arsenal, he's a four-pitch guy. Um, you talk about the movement on his pitches, on his fastball in particular. It's a, it's a, uh, a riding fastball. It's got life through the zone. Uh, he can pitch in all all quadrants of the zone. He can get swing and miss. Uh, he can get the ground ball if he needs it. Um, he's got a spike curveball, um, certainly a plus pitch for him. He's got a very good slider as well, and then he's got a changeup that 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 shows uh, that show that is impressive too. I mean, it's it's if there was one knock, it's that he has too many options. I mean, this is a guy that continues to get better and. Very excited to, to see uh, what happens here in 2019 for, for Dylan. Too many options. 
Sounds like uh, you Darvish with all the pitches he has. So White Sox fans can't wait to see Dylan Cease. They can't wait to see uh, see Eloy Jimenez uh, up with the White Sox as the rebuild continues. And uh, we'll have to wait just a little bit longer as the season gets underway March um, 31st. And uh, as I mentioned, the Cubs taking on Texas. And uh, we'll see how things go. The White Sox with a lot of home games the first couple weeks of the season. We come back, some soccer talk. C.J. Sapong of the Chicago Fire will join us. Fred Hubner with you, the first Midwest Bank studio right here on State Street on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you. The uh, Chicago Fire opened up their season last week in Los Angeles and uh, fell to Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the L.A. Galaxy by a score of 2-1. to one. And um, they, uh, they outplayed the Galaxy for much of the game last week. It was a rough one. Yesterday, the home opener for the Chicago Fire at New SeatGeek Stadium. A couple other games coming up this coming uh, Saturday. A noon start against the Seattle Sounders. And March 30th, New York Red Bulls. Another noon start as the Chicago Fire with three straight home games at New SeatGeek Stadium. As uh, it has taken over the naming rights for the stadium right over there on 71st and uh, Harlem the uh, Chicago Fire yesterday playing Orlando City SC. Game was scoreless at the intermission. Early in the second half, oh, a defensive miscue. And all of a sudden, Orlando gets a goal as Dom Dwyer scores for Orlando City SC. And it looked for the longest time like it was going to stay that way. It was one to nothing. The wind was blowing. It was cold out. Your typical Chicago March Saturday despite. And then the rain started falling. Oh, no. The rain is falling. The turf is slick. The ball is slick. All kinds of bad things are happening. They were. Some bad things were happening until the 95th minute. I know in soccer, 90 minutes, but there was extra time. And how much extra time? There was five. There was four minutes of extra time. But uh, late in the fourth minute of extra time, this happened, and it changed. Put a smile on most people's faces. Chested down by Katai for Nicholas Hassler. Chenisov, Frankowski, launching it in there, Sapong! CJ Sapong has tied it! Looks like another CJ might be ready to shine in Chicago. I was just going to say the previous play, with this Orlando team, they have the game in their hands, hold the ball, hold the ball. Dan Kelly and Frank Lopez on the call as C.J. Sapong scores late in the contest. The 95th minute, the Chicago Fire walk away with a 1-1 draw. And that's what the fire needed. Like I said, the rain was falling. The fans that came out, they were excited that they get a point. It's just one point. But you know what? The way the fire have played in the first couple of games, you needed to come away with something in this home game. The home opener for the fire out at Toyota Park. We hope to be talking with C.J. Sapong in just a second or two as we're trying to make connections with him. And uh, the fire, um, they, they've they played well. Frankowski did not get the start. Took a little bit of a knock from what I understand in practice. So he did not start. So it was Nemanja Nikolic back on top. Uh, for the Chicago Fire, they use C.J. Sapong at one of the winger 
uh, positions, and uh, he comes up with the goal. So uh, two games, two goals for one of the newest members of the Chicago Fire. So we're looking forward to uh, talking with C.J. Sapong in just a little bit. The Fire, as I mentioned, uh, they've made a lot of changes, a lot of moves throughout the course of the offseason and uh, trying to get better. Their attack is uh, is getting to the point where it's it's exciting. Uh, they've got a lot of good things happening. And uh, right now, we see that uh, you look at a guy like Georgi Mihalovic, who is playing for the U.S. men's national team. He is doing very, very well. He's in a situation right now where he is adding things. He's he got taken off yesterday. We just been told that uh, we're going to uh, we're going to talk to CJ in a couple minutes. Uh, in about six or seven minutes, he will join us, and uh, we'll have a chance to talk with him a little bit more. Um, but you look at it. And uh, the Fire trying to get some things going as two years ago, they made the playoffs, got back to the postseason. Last year was miserable. They had injuries. They had to overcome. Michael DeLue was hurt most of the year. You also had uh, Georgie Mihalovic, who was hurt for a majority of the season, came back. And uh, now they are back. Nemanja Nikolic returns. Bastian Schweinsteiger is back. Dax McCarty is back. Um, the fire is still working. There's a couple names out there still that the Chicago Fire are trying to pick up as they continue to work on developing this team uh, for the long run. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back in just a little bit, have a chance to talk with C.J. Sapong of the Chicago Fire. Fred, Hubner there with you. You got a question, you can uh, text me the question for C.J. Fred underscore Hubner on Twitter. And uh, we'll get right back. ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. Hope to be talking with C.J. Sapong in just a couple of minutes. The Chicago Fiery 1-1 draw yesterday. I was talking, uh, we went to break about Georgie Mihaljevic, and um, I'll talk about him a lot because... I had a chance to go. I actually went to high school with Georgie's dad, Alex Mahavlich, who played in uh, the old North American Soccer League. It's old because it happened a long time ago. And he played for the Washington Diplomats. He played at uh, Jacksonville University down in Florida. Uh, while my two, my two buddies, Bob and Kerry, were both playing baseball. And um, Alex has been involved in soccer in the Chicago area for a long, long time. And when you get when you watch soccer and you get a chance, you, you notice guys that can play the game when they are looking where they're going with the ball before the ball gets there. And um, it's just a little thing. But when you're watching the game, the ball as the ball's going to Georgie, Georgie already knows where it's going. Georgie knows if he's going to make a pass. Georgie knows if he's going to take a shot. Georgie knows if it's going back. He's going to send a back pass. And you see the same thing um, when you watch great players. When you watch Bastian Schweinsteiger for the Chicago Fire play, you see the ball going in certain directions. You see that he knows where he's going with the ball. You see it from all the great players. Uh, I've read some of the, the books, the soccer books. Grant Wall from uh, Sports Illustrated does has a great book out there, um, Modern Masters of the Game. Something like that. I always get the title wrong a little bit. But he talks to some of the great players in the game. And they talk about how important it is to always have your head on a swivel. Always know before the ball gets to you where you're going to go with it. Kind of like in baseball. It's easier to relate it to baseball because uh, a lot of us 
that did not play soccer played baseball. And in baseball, they always tell you, listen, when you're playing second base, third base, shortstop, if the ball comes to you, you know where you're going with the ball and know where it's going to go. Well, soccer's the same thing. It just happens quicker. And it just happens with more people on the field. And there's more options of where you're going to go with the ball. And when you watch a guy like Georgie Mihalovic play, that's what you see. And that's what makes watching him and watching the Chicago Fire team develop, hopefully in the team they're going to be, uh, a lot of fun. Because you had a chance to see some of the guys with like um, Alexander Katai on the one side, Frankowski, who came in late and had the tremendous pass on the assist for the goal. Uh, and, and again, the the call from Dan Kelly and um, from uh, Frank Lopez describing it, Orlando City, the ball, it, it was the waning moments of the game. Just keep the ball. Just run down the sideline. Keep the ball, make the Chicago Fire try to get it. They didn't do that, and they turned the ball over, and the Chicago Fire got the ball, and as a result, got the uh, game-tying goal, and here it is one more time. Chested down by Katai for Nicholas Hassler. Chenisov, Frankowski, launching it in there. Sapong! CJ Sapong is tied it! like another CJ might be ready to shine in Chicago. I was just going to say the previous play with this Orlando team that had the game in their hands. Hold the ball, hold the ball. Yeah, they turned it over. The Chicago Fire came up with it. Uh, Frankowski getting the ball to C.J. Sapong, and he does what he does. He put the ball in the net. We now have a chance to talk for a couple of minutes with C.J. Sapong of the Chicago Fire. C.J., how are you today? I'm great. How you doing, man? Doing really, really well. Congratulations on the goal. Tell us a little bit about how important uh, a goal like that is for the way this team has played in the first two games. It would have been so tough to leave yesterday with a loss. What does a goal like that mean to this team going forward? It means a lot, man, especially, you know, personally, given, you know, the new environment, new team, new setting. Um, I've been working hard the last two weeks to get acclimated with the group and, you know, I, I feel like we've, you know, we have, we have one point in two games. Easily could be six points. And, you know, it's it's easy uh, as a team to kind of get down on yourself. But we have a lot of good things that we can kind of reflect on. And, you know, at least being able to pull, you know, something out in the last minute and get a point, it's a little bit of a testament to, to the fight that, you know, we had and the fight that we showed and, I think that's something I can carry us throughout the season. CJ Sapong of the Chicago Fire joining us here on ESPN 1000. The Fire have a guy like Nemanja Nikolic, who's a goal scorer. They bring you in. You get a goal in the first game against L.A. And then Nico starts. And instead of you going to the bench, you were you played on the right side yesterday. When did you know you were going to do that yesterday? Yeah, well, you know, coming to the team, I kind of let it be known that, hey, obviously, uh, you know, at the number nine is where I, I feel most comfortable, but I've had experience on, on the wings as well, and, you know, I, I let Pano know right when, you know, the trade happened that I'm I'm definitely able to, you know, do whatever is needed for the team in any of those positions, and, 
I think that's something that he knew beforehand anyway, but maybe hearing it from me gave him a little extra confidence to, to make things work. You know, Frank, Frank, Frank Housey was dealing with some, some injury, uh, injuries this week, and, you know, it kind of was, I think, maybe the day before that I, I realized that that was a possibility. And, you know, for me, again, it was something that I, uh, it's a position I played before, and I, I was ready for it. And, you know, with with uh, Nicholas on the field as well, I, I think that's somebody that, you know, you, you want to have him on the field too because he, he's, he's a quality player as well. So, um, you know, it gives us some options, and, you know, I'm always uh, happy to be in a position to provide an impact for the team, whatever it might be. Yeah, there's not uh, you can never have too many goal scorers on a soccer team, can you? Never, never, never. And, and as the season goes on, especially in the MLS, you know, it's about dealing with the ebbs and flows because it's, it's tough to uh, – very few guys have been able to uh, put the ball in the net for a, for a whole season. You know? So you want to be make sure that you have depth and you have guys getting confident at the right time. How difficult was it? Because uh, you didn't come to the team till very late. They were basically done with their preseason, and uh, you joined the squad. And then you're you're on the plane, and you're going to Los Angeles. How difficult is it to fit in with a bunch of new guys that late in the preseason? You know, honestly, I, I tell people I feel kind of blessed because it's better than having to do it mid season and not have any time really to yourself. You know, it came at the end of preseason. I had a couple of days to uh, get my mind together, deal with the whirlwind of, of getting traded. I got to get to Philly and um, pack up some stuff. And then, you know, I get to meet up with the team before the season actually starts and, you know, get that preparation in uh, with the regular season mindset. It's always going to be tough when you're in a new setting and a, and a new environment, but... You know, credit to the guys, the coach, uh, the team admin, Alex, has uh, been amazing. And, you know, giving that comfort of knowing that my, my stuff is going to get shipped no problem and my car is going to get shipped no <laughs> sure. problem. It allows me to, like, just get right into the mode of getting used to the team and uh, getting ready to perform. What's the what's the most difficult uh, part with you being a a number nine, a guy that is looking for passes from different players? Is is it difficult for you to to get a, a combination working with these guys, or a you know uh, kind of a connection working with them? Well, see that things like that. There's no remedy for that except time. You know, okay, you need time to to play with these guys and. To get to get to know their tendencies, and after a while, it's just like you know, strength training or whatever skill that you're you're training for. It takes repetition, you know. And fortunately enough, I've been able to you know get on the score sheet the, the first two games, and you know I think all you know there's these stats and things that happen that people don't see. You know, the goal in LA, you know, people don't see uh, Georgie. Uh, putting on pressure after he just made a 40-yard run that makes a guy pay, play an errant pass. And, you know, nobody sees Frankie and the, the work that he had to put in uh, this week to get healthy, to be able to come off and provide a spark for us and, and put a ball into the box that, you know, is, is laid up there for me to go and get, you know. These are things that kind of go unnoticed. And for me, it, it kind of puts me in a... In a comforting place and an excited place because 
this is an ability that we have individually, and all it takes is us connecting um, as a collective and, uh, you know, keep building the cohesive environment. And, you know, I, I truly believe we'll be a force to, to be reckoned with. Another couple minutes with C.J. Sapong of the Chicago Fire. They've got two more home games coming up here in March, the 16th against the Seattle Sounders at noon, and then the New York Red Bulls coming to town on the 30th. Uh, Nemanja Nikolic is a guy that has a very, very interesting diet. Now, I was reading up some stuff about you, and diet has played a really important role in your success also, hasn't it? Oh, yes, for sure. You know, I think, again, that's something that goes unnoticed as well. Uh, Everybody kind of just assumes that, oh, yeah, their diet's great. You know, they're, they're professional athletes. The team makes sure everything is okay. But that's not always uh, sustainable, you know. So some guys, you know, everybody's different. Some guys have to kind of do a little bit more on their own to ensure that they're finding the right diet, the right formula that works for them and, you know, maximizes their potential on the field. Uh, me, personally, I got into... Uh, awareness and and connection to my food through injuries. You know, it, it took me kind of getting into a dark place and having my career kind of be put on on hold and and questioned before I you know took these steps. And not saying that everybody has to do it. You know, it's just for me and my situation what I uh, first need to do, and then you know once I felt the the connection to, to my food and then also the just enhancement of my well-being. It was something that just now is second nature to me. And, you know, I don't force it upon anybody, but I do express the benefits and the, and the joy and bliss that I feel from it whenever I get the opportunity, for sure. So your first game at uh, the new SeatGeek Stadium in the home field at Chicago Fire, you can name man of the match. Do you play guitar? Because I saw that you got one afterwards. Oh, yeah, man. I was, I was very excited about that. wasn't expecting it at all. And it's interesting. The last, like, couple months I've been uh, searching for, I just downloaded this app, like, Rockstar app. Okay. I have, I have a, um, like, a little guitar at home in Virginia that in the off-season I started playing around with some chords and, you know, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to, to get them to learn a little bit that guitar is really cool, man. Sick, so yeah, I'm, no. uh, excited about that. It was very, very cool. Hopefully, uh, the man of the match won't be the last one for you. CJ, appreciate you jumping on. Best of luck to you and the squad as you guys go forward. Uh, Seattle's not going to be easy. Hopefully, we get a little bit of sunshine for you and maybe warmer temperatures soon. Thanks for joining me, okay? Yeah, no doubt, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Sorry for being late. You know, <laughs> Not a problem. Closing some loose ends, <laughs> tying up some loose ends in Philly. But, um, yeah, man, the Seattle Sounders next week, we're excited. And I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do some great things this year. CJ, thanks a lot. CJ Sapong for the Chicago Fire joining me. Thanks a lot for listening throughout the day here on ESPN. Uh, Cap and guys will be back. They can't wait to be talking about college basketball and this Bulls contest. We'll talk about that more tomorrow morning on ESPN 1000.